expanding our facilities and we're going to nearly double our seating capacity in here and open up a bunch of classrooms for our small groups, a whole new wings being developed that's going to include all new nurseries, children's space, and teen space. We're excited about all of this. And uh, this week we received word that we're going to have an opportunity as a church not to go down the road of getting an entirely new conditional use permit, which is a long, tedious process, but that they're going to be able to amend our current conditional use permit. And this was news to everybody. But uh, it's good news, and I'll share more information with you. We don't have a lot of time today, but I couldn't think of a good reason not to share good news. And so I wanted you to know this is going to mean we're going to be able to move more quickly, and we're going to be able to save some resources that we need to invest in working through this process with the city. So I was really, really glad to hear that, and I wanted to share it to you. Good things are happening. If you have your copy of God's Word today, would you join me in turning to the Old Testament book of Psalms? Specifically today, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 19, and and, uh, we are in the midst of a teaching series that is from the Bible, obviously. All of our teaching uh, is to be from the Bible when we come to church, but this is a series of studies about the Bible. We've simply entitled this series, By the Book. Now, Pastors are world famous for answering questions nobody's asking. Irrelevant, out of touch, out of date sermons. Pastors are famous for this. And somebody could wonder, does anyone really care about the Bible? And I've got to tell you, not just you guys, obviously you're here, but a lot of people do. This is a question people are asking. 58% of Americans surveyed said they wish they read the Bible more, and they said the reason they don't is because they don't understand it uh, easily. And so that's the vast majority of Americans. We know that each month, just in America, more than 60,000 times, somebody will type into Google how to study the Bible. Additionally, YouTube, each month there are 538,541 times on average where people go to YouTube to try and find a video to learn how to study and better understand the Bible. People really are interested in what the Bible has to say. In fact, people that don't even believe in God have a mild passing interest and I wonder what's in that book that we call the Bible. And so we've seen in our study that God's Word was written over a span of 1,500 years by more than 40 different authors in three different languages in those original writings. It's amazing that when we think of the diversity in those eras of history over 1,500 years, as we think of that diversity of personalities in the lives of those authors in that time, we think even of the different languages, what we find in the Bible is a singular message, a singular theme. The Bible is an incredible gift from God to each of us. It's in the Bible that we can learn how to have a real relationship with God. And it's in the Bible that we can learn how to live the most fulfilling life possible. To this point, we've taken some time to discover what the Bible is and how it came to be. Next week, we're going to be taking some time to figure out how can we personally get in the Bible to discover for ourselves what God has to say. And we're going to learn about the process that can help us as individuals. But today, I have a very specific goal in mind. I want us to take some time in our study today to learn what the Bible does. What does the Bible do in our lives? And I hope to share with you what happens in the lives of people who seek to read and learn the Word of God. We're going to be looking today to Psalm chapter 19. If you're able, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we read God's Word together. Psalm chapter 19. If you're glad to be in church, say amen. Amen. All right. Well, I'm glad you're here as well. If you're glad we're having tacos after church, say amen. Amen. 
I just heard that this morning. I thought, I thought you could only have tacos on Tuesday, right? Taco Tuesday, but we're going to have Taco Sunday. That's the best Sunday there is, by the way, is Taco Sunday. So we'll get to that in a moment. But uh, Psalm chapter 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. I'm going I'm to read on, but you know, there's never been a person in the history of the world who did not have a testimony of God. Even creation bears testimony to the reality of a creator, God. The Bible says it shows us handiwork. God's just showing off, man. When you look at the beautiful ocean and the Rocky Mountains and the Grand Canyon and all of these things, it's the handiwork of, of God. Verse 2, day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Now, really, we're getting now into verses 7 and 8, and this will really be the heart of our study today. The psalmist here writes, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Now in verses 7 and 8, we find four different expressions that are all speaking of the same thing. The Bible here speaks of the law of the Lord, and then the testimony of the Lord, and the statutes of the Lord, and the commandment of the Lord. All of those words are synonymous with what we would just refer to as, as the Bible. It's the Bible. He's referring here to the words of God. And, and I want us to think really of this expression found in the beginning of verse 7. The law of the Lord. The law of the Lord. Now I want us to think on this together today. Our Father, we're very grateful to be in this place, to have an opportunity and the freedom in this country to gather together, to open the Bible, to read it, and then, Lord, hopefully to learn and to grow. I pray that this service would be a blessing. Lord, all of us have had a different kind of week. Some of us have had a fantastic week. Maybe there are those in the room today who've had a very difficult week, and, and yet, Lord, we know that you're here for each of us. And so may this time in your word uh, lighten the burdens that are carried. Be honored in it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. How many of you just love, I mean, it's your very favorite thing in all of life, you just love, love, love to go to the doctor? Yeah, me neither. I didn't expect any hands, and if any hands were raised, I think, I know what kind of doctor you enjoy going to, all right? But at any rate, most of us do not like to go to the doctor. I don't like going to the doctor, but it seems like every year about the same time it happens, and it happened again this year, mid-December, uh, I, I uh, got sick. Uh, I don't like to get sick. In fact, mid-December is always a bad time to kind of get sick. In fact, in mid-December, uh, I had a trip where I was going to have to fly out of state and preach at a church that our church is helping to start. I was going to rush back, and then it was a mad dash to the finish line of Christmas, and that's a lot of services, and it's a very busy season, and then nobody likes to be sick on Christmas. And so I thought, I've got to do something about this. So I did what I absolutely hate to do. I took my fevered, achy, infirm self down to urgent care. So I got there, I saw, man, the parking lot is full. Uh, I walked to the door, 
and I saw through the glass door there are people standing in line to get signed in and all of that and I stepped in and uh, here's a waiting room with chairs everywhere not one empty chair and I stood there just for a minute and I looked around and I said look at all these sick people I am too sick to mess with sick people I turned around and left. I said, I cannot do this right now. And uh, so I went home. And then I did the, uh, uh, really the next best thing. Uh, I Googled my symptoms. Any of you ever checked yourself out on the internet there? You want to see what's going on with yourself? So I began to type things in and different sicknesses to try and figure out, all right, what do I got? I thought, I feel terrible, therefore I must have something terrible. So I'm Googling all this. And, and as I'm Googling various sicknesses, I thought it might be symptoms started to come up, you know? And one symptom that was coming up over and over that was a symptom that I had was a loss of appetite, loss of appetite. And I thought, well, I had that. So I thought, well, I better, I better Google because Google knows everything. And I thought, I better Google what, what is it that you have if you have a loss of appetite. You guys would not believe how many sicknesses you can have and have a symptom of a loss of appetite. So I began to work through those. And, and number one on the list, I thought, I'm almost certain I am not pregnant. All right. So I thought that's the first one off the list. And uh, then, you know, it listed a bunch of medications that can cause that. And I thought, well, I'm not on any medications. And I went all the way through there. And lo and behold, I think I self-diagnosed. I had an everyday, ordinary, run-of-the-mill cold. And I was going to be just fine. But, but as I went through that whole process, I learned something. I learned that healthy people are hungry people. If you never had a desire to eat, that would be an indication there's something wrong. Healthy people are hungry people. Did you know the same thing is true spiritually speaking? Spiritual health is often seen in our appetite for the Word of God. In fact, the Apostle Peter put it this way. He said, as newborn babes, or like a newborn baby, he said, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. You see, if we want to grow spiritually, Peter tells us exactly how that happens. He said, there's a connection between spiritual growth and uh, our time in the Word, studying and learning. It's so important that we spend time in the Word of God. Now, Psalm 19 was written by King David, the most well-known king in, in all of Scripture and in all of the history of Israel. And it was a psalm that was Hebrew poetry, originally put into music. The book of Psalms in the Bible was kind of like the Hebrew hymn book. They would sing these, and specifically Psalm 19 was written, if we were to take the time to read all of it, which we didn't, but if we would have, we would have seen that it was written really to praise God for the gift He's given us of His Word. And so as David was inspired by God in the writing of this, he shared some truths that can help each of us today to understand the power of God's word as it works in our lives. And so as we consider these words, we'll learn several truths together today. Here's the first element. If you're taking notes, you may want to jot this down. Number one, God's word touches every part of our lives, every part of our lives. In verse 7, the Bible says, the law of the Lord is perfect. It's perfect. Now, in our study, we've come to understand that God's word is reliable, it's without error, and, and we're grateful for that reality. But here in verse 7, when David says the law of the Lord is perfect, he's not really speaking necessarily about the fact that God's word is without error. It is, but that's not what David's getting at here. The word perfect here conveys a really important idea, and the idea is complete. In other words, David is saying, let me tell you, when God speaks, his message is whole. 
It touches every area of our lives. It touches every need that we'll have in our lives. And then there's a second definition to this word perfect. It's the essence of something that never changes. If we were to say of something it's perfect, in part what we're saying is don't mess with it. Don't change it. It's just right the way it is. And so David said, let me tell you about God's word. Man, it's perfect. It touches every part of our lives. It's perfect. It, it, it doesn't need to be changed. Now, I don't know about you, but I love in this rapidly changing world in which we're living some things that just don't change. I'm not averse to all change, but sometimes it's nice to have something in your life that doesn't change. I think one reason, frankly, I love the ocean and I love the mountains is in my entire lifetime, the ocean has looked just the way it looks now. The mountains look just the way they do right now. It's just kind of comforting sometimes to have a few things in our lives that are going to be stable and unchanging. And by unchanging, I'm not saying today that God's word gets old and musty and stale. Oh, no, that's not how God's word is at all. I love the way the Bible in the book of Lamentations says it. The Bible says it's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness you see the immutable or the unchanging work of god it's new every day it's fresh every day it's vibrant and life-giving every day wouldn't it be great if we had something in our life that was perpetually new and up to date things come and go out of date and style so quickly how many of you have ever looked at an old photo of yourself and thought what was i thinking what was I thinking? I remember when I was growing up, I was a quiet kid. I was going to say I was shy. I don't know if I was shy, just quiet. Somebody told me, this is back when I was in high school, that I looked like a, a famous entertainer at that time. He was a rapper. Somebody said to me, Steve, you look like Vanilla Ice. How many of you that name rings a bell? All right. Now, some of you are like, huh? Vanilla Ice? Who is that? All right. And uh, others are like, I, I don't see it at all. I don't think you look like him at all. And I'd say, leave me alone. This was more than 30 years ago, okay? But I thought, you know, I don't always feel like I'm a cool guy. The people seem to think he is. And someone said, I kind of vaguely look like him. So I went down to Supercuts and I said, hook me up with the Vanilla Ice cut, all right? And I remember I got the lines cut in the side of my head and, and uh, I went home. You know, that day, uh, my dad didn't like it. In fact, if I recall exactly what he said, he said, you look like an idiot. That was his assessment of my new dude. And uh, so my dad on day one said, no bueno, that's not a good look for you. And you know, it wasn't much longer until I realized that look had a very short shelf life. And uh, uh, I thought, I'm trying hard to look good and it's, it's just not working. And some of you are laughing at my expense, but if we were to go through your photo album, it would be the bell bottoms or the mullet or the gigantic perm or whatever it is for you. By the way, for all you young people here today, your kids will laugh at you one day too, all right? And uh, things are changing all of the time. The rate of change is unprecedented in the history of the world. Our technology increases exponentially. Our culture is dramatically changing. Even here in America, we're entertaining philosophies that at one time we like would have went to war against. We are changing even simple terms. The definitions are changing. Terms like man, woman, family, 
I mean, once upon a time, it was like, yeah, we know what this means, but we're, we're changing, and, and, and there are all these questions that are coming as a result of it. And friends, I'm telling you, it is so helpful in life to have a resource in the Bible that isn't subject to the winds of change. It isn't susceptible to the pressures that come from culture. God's word is perpetually constant because, as David said, it's just perfect. It's perfect. This fact is helpful because we can know we have a source that will help us and guide us in any time and through any circumstance. His truths are eternal. If anyone ever tells you they've got a new message from God, I would encourage you strongly to run away from that person quickly. Because God's given us this word and it's, it's perfect. In Revelation chapter 22, we get an idea of how God feels about people that add or take away from his word. The Bible says, for I test un, uh, testify unto you, uh, unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. God was saying in no uncertain terms, hey, don't mess with my word. It's got all you need. It touches every area of your life. And we're grateful for that reality. Here's the second lesson we learned from the writing of David here. Number two, God's word changes us from the inside out. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. All right, I made that comment about giant perms. Some of you turned me off right there, all right? So don't get mad. Number two, God's word changes us from the inside out. Now in verse seven, as we keep reading, taking the words as they come, the, the Bible says of, of itself that it's converting the soul. Converting the soul. That's a great expression. That, the word converting refers to that work that God does to make us right with Him. I'll explain this more at the end of the message, but really the idea in the word converting is to return things to the way they were before sin entered into the world. To change things. And the Bible says of itself that it's converting our soul. I love that. Now listen, we know we're all multi-part beings. All of us have a body. And you can find something in the Bible that will help you even with physical health. It's in there. All of us have a spirit. That's the animating force of a person. All right? But that soul is the essence of the real us. That's who we truly are. The Bible tells us that God can convert the soul. He can change us from the inside out. I think all of us at one time or another, another have looked at somebody and just kind of thought, maybe we said it. They just need to change. Sometimes we'll do it like this, you know. <laughs> they need to change. That person needs to change. How many of you have ever looked at another person and just thought, they, they need to change? Good. Thank you. I see those hands. How many of you, it's the person you're seated next to right now, you're like, they definitely need to change this guy here. Here's what God says. He says to all of us, you need to change. And God says, here's how I'm going to change your part of the world. I'm going to let it start deep within you. It's going to be an inside-out kind of thing. 
I'm going to start in that innermost part of who you are. Some books educate, some books illuminate, some books entertain. But you see, it's only the Word of God that contains the power to transform us and make us new on the inside. As, as we get into the Bible and as we get to know Jesus and, and grow in Him, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I have a friend, and uh, I've known him my, my whole life. I, in fact, our parents met when we were both just newly born, little babies. And uh, we've grown up together. He lives in another state. He, he called me not too long ago, and, and uh, he, he was talking to me. He said, man, Steve, he, he said, I'm, I'm having some troubles in, in my marriage. And I said, listen, man, time's come to all of our lives, and just you can do it, and uh, shared a few thoughts and the more he was talking he kind of was opening the door to like do you have anything for me nobody appreciates counsel that's not requested so generally if somebody doesn't ask i don't say <laughs> but he was kind of asking and and so I, I said to my friend i said you know the bible in ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 says husbands love your wives even as christ loved the church and gave himself for it and and I said, listen, here, here's what I know. The Bible says as husbands, we're to love our wives like Jesus loves. And, and I said, you know, what I know about the love of Jesus is he's generous and he's patient and he's kind and he's sacrificial and he's protective and, and more. And it was just two friends talking. And I could hardly get out what it was he was asking from me because he kept saying, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, I know, I know that. And the thing is, he knew. But I want you to understand today that the power isn't just in having some intellectual thing. The power doesn't come just in knowing what the Bible says. It's found in applying what we find in the Bible and living it out in our lives. James, the younger half-brother of our Lord Jesus, he wrote this in James 1 and verse 22. He said, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. He was saying, if you think just some mental arrival, some mental ascent to a truth in the Bible is where it's at, you're deceiving yourselves. He said, we're not just to hear the word, we're to do what it is the Bible says. Do what you learn. Jesus one time said it this way. He said, if you love me. Now, he wasn't talking about his love for us. That's settled. But he said, I love you. But if you love me, he said, let me tell you how to flesh that out in your life. Keep my commandments. He was saying, get in the word. As I like to say, let the word get in you. And then live it out in your lives. It'll change everything. That leads us to the third truth we find in this text. Number three, God's word provides direction in life god's word provides direction in life so as the words continue the bible continues at the end here verse 7 the testimony of the lord is sure making wise the simple so all these synonyms for the bible today we'll just say god's word uh, the bible teaches us here that it makes wise the simple now, imagine we were kind of in a small gathering and, and someone said, hey, let's just go around the room. Everyone introduce yourself. Tell us a little about yourself. And imagine, you know, it's, it's coming. It's going to be my turn. And, and uh, so they look at me and I say, hi, I'm Steve. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to think what's something about me that would be interesting that maybe someone would like to know. If I say, I'm Steve and I'm simple. 
That's probably not the adjective I would lead with, you know. Now, it may be true. Some of you are thinking it is true right at this very moment, okay? But uh, that's probably not the adjective we would use to lead with. That's probably not how we'd like to label or identify ourselves. Simple. But the fact is today, all of us have huge areas in our lives that are just blind spots. Nobody knows at all. We understand that. And the Bible says there are just things in life about God that we need to know that without Him we won't. It's, it's, a, it's a gift from God that the Word makes wise, the simple. God's Word can enlighten those areas where we just, we just can't see it. There's a story behind the word simple and I, I love the fact that, I mean, all of our words, they have a story. They come from somewhere. They were word pictures that were boiled down. And, and the word simple actually means, if you went back to its original meaning, it means an open door. An open door. That's how the Lord would think of the simple. Now you can think, well, how does an open door relate to how we use the word simple today? It refers to someone that has an open door on their mind. They don't know what or what not to let in. They don't know what or what not to let go. How many of you have ever heard the expression, that person just doesn't have a filter? That's exactly what this means. Simple. They're an open door. Man, they, they just don't know what to let out, and they don't know what to let in. Simple. Simple. God's Word helps us with that. It helps us to see the good that we need to add. And God's Word helps us to see the bad, the wrong sinful that we need to let go now here's where somebody could bow up on the inside and say here we go again typical religion giving us the rules and friends i got to tell you if that's our attitude and approach towards god and his word it's not really an indictment on god it just reveals how we don't understand how good and kind and loving he is to us a bunch of you probably have a goldfish at home, an aquarium. Are you mean because you require your fish to live in an environment where they can have the capacity to use those little gills to get what they need and you put food in there? And that's the best place for them. You're not a legalist or some rule maker by saying, listen, dude, you need to live in the water, okay? <laughs> in the water. Remember when I was growing up, my uncle had some rabbits and... Uh, Oh, man, he built an elaborate cage for them, and there was even a cage within the cage, like a place where they could play. And He lives in a part of the country where there's mountain lions and all kinds of things. And, and uh, he, he went way out of his way to make sure they had everything they need in there, a place to play and all the rest. The coyotes couldn't get him. The mountain lions couldn't get him. You know, I noticed that even after a while, the kids started coming out, and the, and the rabbits, they'd run right into their little rabbit houses. They, they did not resent the fact that my uncle said, hey, here's some parameters where you're going to be the safest, the most well taken care of. This is where your best life will be lived. They, they kind of appreciated that. And friends, in a similar sense, God provides some, some parameters in his word. And they're not designed to keep us from some really good thing for our lives. It's designed to protect us from the bad. It's our good that God has in mind. Jude writes about this. He said this, Now unto him, speaking of the Lord, that is able to keep you from falling 
and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That passage goes on from there. But what's the, being said, the point I want to take out of there is that nobody knows better where we should walk in life and how we should walk in life than God. And we can grow from simple to wise as we listen to the Lord, learn from his word. That leads to the final point that I'll share with you today. God's word leads to a joyful life. God's word leads to a joyful life. Let's look down to verse 8. If you're there with me in verse 8, say amen. The Bible says the statutes of the Lord, again, all just referring to the word of God. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Now, I want you to see the progression here. A lot of times we want to start with the rejoicing, but there really is a progression here. We first uh, are converted. That's the word. It converts the soul. We're converted as we enter into truth. And then we're made wise. We've got God working with simpletons, and he's putting his wisdom in them. So we're converted into truth. We are made wise as God works in our lives. And it's then that we find his joy rejoicing the heart, as the text says. His joy comes when we determine that God's word is right. In the course of this series, I've sought to make this point over and over and over. If the question were asked, what do you do when you read a part of the Bible you disagree with? The answer to that is you change your mind because God is right 100% of the time. He's never wrong. And so we have to come to the place in life where we say, you know what? I'm going to agree with God. If my thinking is out of line with his word, I'll adjust my thinking. Samuel said this in 1 Samuel 2 and verse 3, talk no more exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. Friends, I'm not saying today that there are any among us here in this room who are perfect. Uh, that's, that's obviously not the case. But I am saying today that the most happy and truly joyful life there is, is one that's found in the center of what we know to be true from the Word of God. That's the greatest life there is. The life that says, to the extent that I know, and I'm still hungry to learn, but to the extent that I know, I'm living out God's word. I'm telling you today that that's where healthy marriages and parents and children and friendships and and more are found. Of, Of course a Christian can sin, and of course God's grace is sufficient, and he still loves us, but real joy emerges in our lives when we say, God, I choose to live in truth, the truth of your word. God's word can truly change us and set us free on a path that leads us to God's life for us. But there's a starting point in all of that. Some will say, well, where do I even begin? There's a starting point in all of that. One time the apostle Paul wrote a letter to a young man named Timothy. Timothy was a young preacher. Paul had known him all of his life. And as Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he said to Timothy, you know, Timothy, in that from a child... Thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ. Now, what's a takeaway from that verse? First of all, I'm glad to tell you, I learned in that verse that the gospel of Jesus Christ is so simple, even a child can understand. So Paul's writing a young man saying, Timothy, I knew you when you were just a little tiny guy. And even then you knew the scriptures and he said it's the scriptures that made you wise to salvation. So I'm I'm glad it's a simple enough message that a child can understand. But the bigger point I want you to take out of that is the Apostle Paul taught us that it's the scriptures. The scriptures that reveal to us 
how to have a relationship with God. We can see that that's how God works. The Apostle Peter put it this way. He said, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Friends, God has a great work that he can do in each of our lives, but it all begins with knowing that we have a personal relationship with him. I'm fond of saying it's totally not about religion. It's not about denomination. It's, it's not about any of that. It's about a personal relationship with God, knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt and absolute certainty that we have this personal relationship with God. I, I remember as I was growing up, I used to hear people talk about knowing they had a relationship with God, and it kind of bugged me. I thought, actually, to be honest with you, I thought, that's kind of arrogant. How can anybody say they know God? They're either, uh, you know, they're, they're not all there or they're maybe a little bit bold and arrogant to say, hey, I know God. But you know what I've learned from the Bible? The Bible says we can know that we have a relationship with God. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, the Bible says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. The Bible says that you may know. It's not a hope so, it's not a think so. God says it can be a no so for you. So we can wonder, well, how could we ever know that? You know what Jesus said? In John 5 and verse 39, Jesus said, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they, the scriptures, are they which testify of me, Jesus said. I want you to know this message is so important and it's for everybody. I made sure that it was written down and recorded for you. You can search the scriptures. And in the Bible, we can learn how we can know that we have a relationship with God. It's going to last forever. In the book of Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, the Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin means to miss the mark. And we know practically sin means to do that which is an affront to, to God's law for us. We do that which is wrong. And I don't even need today to ask for a raise of hands because I'm preaching to a bunch of sinners today. And guess who's preaching at you? A sinner himself. The Bible says for all, that's every one of us, have sinned. And we've come short of the glory of God. Meaning God's standard is absolute perfection i don't know who the best person in this room is i don't know who it is but the best person still falls short god's perfect we're not if you understand that say amen so god says all right well here's where it begins we have to understand why we even need god he's perfect we're not so we've got a gulf now this this gulf fixed between us yet i'm glad to tell you today not just that we're all sinners but that god loves us Romans 5 and verse 8, the Bible says, But God commended His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I can't explain everything to you about God, but I can tell this to you. When He sees us in our sin, He's not repulsed. He said, I love them. There's a goal fixed. But I love them. The Bible says that in his love, he came to the point where he died for us. Why is that? Well, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the Bible says, for the wages or the penalty of sin. Again, who among us are sinners? All of us. God says, all right, what do we deserve because of our sin? The wages of sin is death. Now, that's a spiritual death. Physically speaking, we've all got a shelf life on how long our, our earth suits are going to last. But, but God is saying, spiritually speaking, there's a spiritual death that will come to those who 
do not have their sin debt dealt with. Spiritual death, I mean, we know physically death is just separation, uh, body from spirit. Spiritual death is separation from the presence of God forever and ever. And there is an awful place that people go to who reject the love of God. And I don't get a kick out of talking about it, but Jesus talked a lot about it. I'm glad to tell you there's a heaven today. We're going to get there, but the Bible does speak of hell. And that it's that ultimate separation from God. The wages or the penalty of sin is spiritual death. But that verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's get the picture. We're all sinners. We all fall short. But God loves us anyway. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin, to live a perfect life, a sinless life, to die on the cross, the Bible told us. In that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why did he do that? Well, because the penalty or the price that our sin debt created was death. And if we pay our own sin debt, we're done forever and ever. But Jesus is perfect. He's God the Son. So he died for us. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The last question I'll seek to answer today is how in the world do we get that gift? Well, I know this about gifts. You don't have to pay for them. You don't have to earn them. You don't have to deserve them. You just receive a gift. And the word picture in Scripture is that the Lord's extending to each of us this gift of eternal life so that we can know that we have this relationship with God in Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 the Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved saved from our sin debt saved unto a relationship the Bible goes on to say for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This section closes by saying this for whosoever that's all of us for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible speaks of calling on God and confessing with our mouth. We might call that prayer. When the Bible speaks here of calling on God it's not just referring to a generic general prayer. The whole topic of this section is dealing with spiritual salvation, knowing we have a relationship with God. It's specifically asking God for spiritual salvation. What do we need to know to do that? God, I know I'm a sinner and that I don't deserve this. But I'm sure glad you love me, that you died in my place. And God, you're not going to force your salvation on me. It's a gift. I must receive it, and faith is the way I receive it. As the Bible says, it's understanding that we believe in our heart, but we're confessing to God, God, I need you. And thank you for being there for me. From time to time, I like to close our service by emphasizing this incredible truth and giving people an opportunity to turn to Jesus in faith. Now, I'll often emphasize repeating a prayer does not make anybody saved. I've read the Bible from cover to cover a few times. You're not going to find any verse in the Bible that says, if you repeat this prayer after this person, you're in. That's not what it says. It says we believe in our heart, we confess with our mouth. But I'm going to close today by praying a prayer, and I'm going to invite you to repeat after me if you believe in your heart and want to confess with your mouth. What do we need to believe in our heart? 
that we're all sinners, that Jesus is God the Son. He lived that perfect life. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. And we're asking him to forgive us of our sins, to assure us of a home in heaven one day. And we're asking for his presence to be at work in the midst of this life that we're living right now. And this relationship's not found in a church, as I said, or a denomination. It's found when we just personally, with God, based on what we learn in the Bible, say, God, I really want a relationship with you. And I can't make that happen on my own, so I'm turning to you now. And if you're here today and you were confronted with a question, do you know for an absolute certainty if you were to die right now, you'd spend eternity in heaven? Listen, 99% sure is not sure enough. I did not tell you today what I think, what I read in some book somewhere. We've carefully gone through the Word of God. And this is what God has to say on the matter of us knowing Him. Why don't we all bow our heads in a spirit of prayer today? Now, we're just about done, but this is really the single most important part of the entire service today. I wonder how many of you would say, you know, Pastor, I know it was a Bible study about the Bible, but you said some things that were kind of helpful. You said some things that maybe were good for me to hear today. I wonder how many would just kind of real quickly lift a hand and say, Pastor, there was something in this study. I'm, I'm glad I heard it today. I'm glad I was in, in the service. Are there those like that this morning? Just lift your hand real quick and say, you know, there was something in that study for me today. That's awesome. Thanks so much. You can put your hands down. Now, I want you to listen very, very carefully to what I'm about to say next. As I came to the end of the message, I talked about how we can know that we have a relationship with God. And I talked about the danger of not knowing. And maybe you're here in the privacy of this moment. And between you, me, and God, you'd say, Pastor, that, that part was kind of for me. That stirred my heart, got me thinking. I'm not 100% sure. You may not even be sure that a person can be sure. But you're here today and you say, Pastor, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm just not certain. If I were to die right now, that I have that kind of relationship with God. I wonder, are there those like that this morning? Just by testimony, quickly raise hand. Pastor, I'm just not sure of that. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Here's how we're going to end our service today. As I said, I'm just going to pray a prayer. And if you believe this in your heart and you want to confess it with your mouth, I'm going to invite you to pray along with me. Now, whether you just raised your hand or not, that's not the most important. Perhaps you're here today and you'd say, you know, this... This is really a prayer I need to pray. This is a relationship with God. I, I need to know that I have. So as I lead in this prayer, I'll invite you, if you would, to pray along with me. Pray along out loud. It's something to be grateful for. So let's pray this prayer together this morning. Dear Lord Jesus, go ahead. I know that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and save me. I turn to you. Thank you for hearing this prayer and answering this prayer. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. With our heads still bowed real quickly. How many of you would say, Pastor, from my heart today, I prayed that prayer. You said, are you 100% sure? I wasn't, but I, I prayed that prayer with you today. Are there those this morning? Just lift your hand up. Say, Pastor, you weren't the only one praying up there today. I prayed with you. Keep them up for a moment if you would. I just want to see all around the room, all around the room. Wonderful. We praise God for that. Thank you so much. You can put your hands down.
Well, if you're here today and you're grateful for people praying to turn to Jesus for salvation, would you say amen? Let's all stand together, all right? Next week's going to be such an important message in this series. It's good to hear preaching and teaching, but it's really good to become a self-feeder. We're going to learn about that process. I wanted to mention that to you. I want you to know that for those of you that are here today and you prayed that prayer,